And at the end of the day, governing is not about entertaining. Governing is not about building a brand or, or, or talking on social media and virtue signaling. It's ultimately about winning and about producing results. Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. Here to talk with my dad, Robert Robb, who is writing on Substack, robertrobb.substack.com. That voice at the beginning was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis speaking in Iowa a few weeks ago. DeSantis is one of about 11 Republicans currently challenging Trump for the Republican presidential nomination. Primaries will begin in the early months of 2024. The common wisdom right now is that DeSantis is the only credible challenger to Trump. National polls show DeSantis around 20%, maybe a little higher compared to Trump, been around 50% the national polls, <clears throat> while uh, everyone else is at the single digits. Um, so, so question here, is this a normal presidential primary where it's unpredictable, the candidates will jockey for position up until the early states, and then, you know, it's really anyone could break out of the field? Or is this a foregone conclusion and Trump is going to coast the nomination without barely needing to step outside of his Mar-a-Lago grounds? Uh, I, I think the best guess, and it is only a guess, is that it's somewhere in between. Uh, clearly, um, Trump has a um, very strong cadre of support among Republican primary voters uh, that nothing so far has shaken. Uh, I think um, the uh, pundit that described a vote for Trump in 2016 as a uh, extended middle finger to the liberal establishment and woke ideology, I uh, had it uh, exactly right. And I think that explains uh, the uh, loyalty, despite everything that's occurred, that he continues to enjoy among uh, primary uh, voters. Um, but. Uh, he carries a lot of baggage, and, and he's taking on more uh, practically every day. Uh, his policy positions have become wilder uh, and uh, less tethered to sensibility. Um, so I think that there is a possibility that between here and the convention um, that something or some combination of some things uh, shake uh, that loyalty that currently exists uh, and causes Republican primary voters to consider alternatives. How would an opponent take advantage of that baggage, though? Because it seems like every, every piece of baggage, every potential stumbling block, like, a, um, you know, like one, one of these indictments coming down, it seems like every single one of those becomes a loyalty test for Trump, so that even even his opponents feel like they have to defend Trump against you know all these all these characters that are coming after him, and he's a victim. And if you don't, you know, if you it seemed like if anyone was going to try to take advantage of that, or if Trump or if uh, DeSantis was going to try to you know attack him on on some of those vulnerabilities, it almost seems like it, it backfires. So, it, what is the strategy of attack for DeSantis or? or anyone else that could possibly emerge from the crowded field? Well, for DeSantis, it may be to um, 
develop uh, funding support for Chris Christie. <laughs> so um, that that is uh, the state of affairs as they are today. Um, if you attack Trump, you're considered as supporting the liberal establishment and trying to take the guy down, and he has become a cultural symbolic figure. However, uh, the other approach of ignoring it or uh, tiptoeing around it has clearly not worked. I mean, that, <laughs> that's something which um, moderate Republicans or even Republicans that have uh, a couple feet landed in um, pragmatic uh, reality uh, have, have used, and uh, that hadn't worked. Um, so even though you risk the backfire and you risk being um, falling into the blame the messenger uh, syndrome, um, I think the other approach is a proven failure. And the only hope uh, is to point it all out, criticize it, uh, and hope that between now and the convention something happens uh, so that uh, the people who currently, the Republican-based voters who are currently so loyal to Trump, uh, begin to see things in a different light. Yeah, I, personally, I don't see a lot of hope of the tide turning yet, just because, <clears throat> I mean, this Trump revolution or whatever, 2016, seems to just, you know, he captured... He captured the party and has faced very little resistance uh, since then to the point where, you know, the average Republican office holder today wouldn't even say that he lost the 2020 election. It seems like one of the biggest attacks you can make against Trump as a person and, and, and MAGA as a as a political whatever it is, is that it's a loser and that, you know, <clears throat> um, but if, if the average Republican office holder can't even say the words Trump lost, it just seems like it's hopeless uh, to even to even gain traction against a, a situation like that. If you look at, you know, even 2022, this is after after January 6th, after Trump's reaction to, to everything else, um, his endorsement in the primaries in Arizona, basically clinched it for, you know, for Blake Masters, for for Amade, you know, definitely Carrie Lake, who she she might have been able to win a win a nomination on a different with a different persona. But it just seems all the evidence it seems to me is that it's his party, and it's it's he's just. I I think that's a fair description of where we are today. There are. Minor counterindications. Uh, the governor of uh, Georgia and the secretary of state of Georgia won primaries, uh, despite Trump going after them about as harshly and fully as he's ever gone after anybody. Um, but I, I think I think what what you um, have described is a fair description of today's Republican Party, which is why I'm now an independently <laughs> registered voter. <laughs> Um, but, uh, again, uh, in terms of these aspirants who would like to be the presidential nominee, uh, or those who, um, uh, want to see a nominee other than Trump, political activists, others, um, 
not taking the guy on is a clear loser. Right. Uh, no one's really tried uh, the strategy of taking him on. Right. Uh, so um, to me, uh, that's the unwritten narrative is uh, how many uh, uh, people will take him on. Chris Christie has definitely indicated that he's going to do that. Others are less hesitant to make any criticism. They're now making some criticism of him. Uh, and whether that changes the dynamic. I do think DeSantis's approach is uh, not uh, particularly potent because what he's saying is, I'm like Trump, I'm just competent and, uh, and, and, and without all the drama. Uh, and it's untrue that Trump was an unsuccessful president. I mean, he got a major uh, tax cut, uh, brought um, the uh, corporate uh, income tax in the United States uh, from being well above uh, the developed uh, country's average to being a little bit below. Uh, he completely changed the judiciary. Um, to the extent that people are tired of um, free trade, and that appears to be, unfortunately, a bipartisan sentiment, uh, he, he uh, did begin to erect uh, trade barriers and pursue a protectionist policy. He helped change the discussion of, of that issue. Uh, so I don't think saying I'm competent and, and he's not, or I'm a winner and he's not, uh, is a successful strategy. I think DeSantis needs to identify ways in which, in terms of policy, uh, he's different, uh, and to escalate the criticism uh, about uh, the other things that Trump did while he was president, yeah. uh, including uh, attempting a coup to remain in office uh, even though he had lost the election. Yeah, I don't think well, it'll be interesting to see how DeSantis approaches that. And uh, Mike Pence has come out with a pretty clear stance of I did the right thing on January 6th by certifying the uh, uh, the election, like the law said. I don't know what DeSantis if how he's going to approach. You know, he wants his uh, he wants the Republican voters to think that Trump lost, but I don't think he wants to be. DeSantis doesn't want to be the one to say those words, Trump lost. I do think that DeSantis has some, some from a populist perspective, some attacks on Trump for, uh, for not being effective at building the wall like he said he was, didn't really prioritize getting anything substantive or, or permanent done um, in terms of legislatively or on the on the immigration or, or building the wall. One of his main, one of DeSantis's main attacks on Trump is his response to COVID and sort of giving up the country to Fauci is how he's is how he's presenting it. DeSantis is also um, taking offense on on things like uh, you know being forceful against the woke ideology, and DeSantis presents that as being sort of the biggest threat that you need to take on. Whereas whereas Trump is is taking the the track of maybe downplaying it and and since that's not his strength um even though he's the chief lib owner um <clears throat> he's that's not his that's not his strong suit in this particular challenge um 
the COVID response, I think, is the most powerful argument that DeSantis has against Trump on policy, uh, because that is something that cultural conservatives um, felt uh, that uh, were strongly opposed to the shutdown, strongly opposed to vaccine mandates. Uh, Trump uh, was a highly ineffectual uh, leader from anyone's point of view uh, when the country faced um, that very substantial uh, challenge. And DeSantis was a leader. Um, he, he defied uh, conventional wisdom uh, at the time. Uh, and I think events have proved him uh, right. And that is an issue that cultural conservatives care about. So I do believe that is a point of vulnerability on policy uh, that he can and is successfully exploiting. The other interesting thing to watch will be how all these candidates respond when it gets closer to the election time. And like, let's say, DeSantis remains well above everyone else in the polls. You know, when we, when we get down to the first couple of states, are the other um, con, uh, contestants or the other candidates going to drop out and support DeSantis to, to, to have someone that is a unifying figure, much like in the in the primaries of uh, 2020, um, the Democrats, a lot of this more centrist Democrats did that to support Biden. And Biden was able to, I mean, early on there, it seemed like Bernie Sanders might have been the nominee until until uh, Joe Biden came out of South Carolina and then uh, Buttigieg and some of the others rallied around him. So we'll see if Republicans will have the discipline to do that if it comes if it comes down to it. If Trump wins, which is most likely if you're putting your money on it right now, you'd probably bet on Trump winning. Even I mean, I would think even if he does get indicted or again or whatever, it doesn't seem like anything. I mean, it seems like he could... <laughs> He would, he would win even regardless of what his legal situation is. Um, but our, let's say Trump gets nomination again. Are quote-unquote normal Republicans, if there are that many left, going to support him for the, for the general? I mean, it's kind of tough for Mike Pence to have this stance of, you know, I stood up to the guy who's trying to destroy the Constitution, and then, oh, but yeah, I'll support you over... Joe Biden. Well, let, let's um, differentiate between uh, leaders and candidates and uh, voters. Uh, among uh, leaders and candidates, my guess is that they will end up coming up with some uh, formulation uh, to support whoever the nominee ends up being. Uh, there in. Among voters, there's a, I think, a very large number and, and uh, a swing group that will determine the outcome of the election and determine the outcome of the election in 2020 who really, really, really dislike uh, Donald Trump. Uh, the problem is if Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee, he can't make the same pitch to those voters that he successfully made uh, in 2020. Uh, which is he's a safe alternative. He's a centrist Democrat. He's just going to return politics to normal uh, and govern in at least a somewhat bipartisan fashion. Uh, he has uh, tried to cram through Congress and adopt through executive order 
a hard left uh, program. So for those group of uh, independents and I don't like Trump Republicans, uh, he can no longer present himself as a uh, safe option that uh, basically bides time until the Republican Party returns to uh, its census. Um, so I, I think that creates a more, combined with, with the doubts that exist about whether Biden is up to the job now, much less six years from now at the end of a second term, um, I, I think that creates a, a dynamic where, where Trump could re reverse the result. I'm not going to predict that, um, but I certainly think it's more difficult for the Democrats to make the anti-Trump pitch in 2024 that they made in 2020. Isn't there some, uh, you know, counter evidence to that, though? I mean, Biden has made some, he's gotten several bipartisan wins. The infrastructure bill was bipartisan. Um, he, you know, helped negotiate this debt ceiling bill. He's been sort of a strong leader dealing with the Ukraine conflict uh, with Russia. And then on the flip side, I mean, Trump went even further off the rails than usual after after losing 2020. And he hasn't, you know, he hasn't gone before the voters since then. So, you, you know, you know, and he continues to say, you know, like on the CNN um, town hall, he did that he won the election, that it was rigged, you know, basically even lending support to the January 6th riders saying he wants to pardon them. And I mean, I just think to me, it seems like his negatives going into 2024 would be even, even more than they were in, in 2020, even though Biden now has a, has a record to run on, but you, you know, there's, there's still some bipartisan and practical benefits of, of Biden. I, I would agree that there's more reason uh, for these swing voters to have anxiety about Trump in 2024 than there was in, in 2020, he hadn't attempted a coup uh, in November, by November of 2020. It started after that. Uh, but uh, the bipartisan successes uh, were nothing uh, that Biden proposed uh, and for the most part weren't things that he exercised leadership on. Uh, he was proposing radical far-left stuff. Uh, it was cinema and uh uh, others uh, who forged the bipartisan stuff within uh, the U.S. Senate. Uh, he accepted it, um, but it wasn't where he was trying to lead. Uh, the uh, debt ceiling, he did take the leadership role, uh, but only after he initially tried not to. I mean, he, he, he refused to nego negotiate. He said, send me a clean package. It was only when the politics moved dramatically against him after the House passed something and the Senate couldn't pass anything uh, that he finally sat down. Now, I will give him credit. I think he conceded a lot of ground to avoid um, running past the uh, X date. Um, so I, I give him credit for, I think, achieving a genuine compromise. Uh, but for the most part, uh, he's been pushing uh, a very far left agenda, a Bernie Sanders agenda, which, which 
there was always a contradiction between in, in his 2020 campaign because on the one hand he was making these reassurance reassuring gestures uh, to uh, independents and I don't like Trump uh, Republicans uh, as the safe choice and uh, the, the kind of pragmatic centrist uh, Democrat while at the same time he forged a unity platform with Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Uh, so he could tell uh, the left that, that he would work hard uh, to try to get their agenda adopted. And as president, he's pursued the Bernie Sanders unity agenda, um, not the kind of things that would reassure uh, independent and, and I don't like Trump Republicans. So you are correct that, that he can point to those things. Um, uh, but I just think he has a less credible case to make than he had in 2020. Yeah. Well, I, I really hope that a, some Republican other than Trump can can win the nomination, even if it's even if it's DeSantis, which I know some some never Trump people are kind of worried that DeSantis is going in an authoritarian direction, just more more competent. I just think whatever. We just need to get beyond the Republican Party desperately needs to get beyond having Trump be their be their standard bearer. And, and I think you've written before about just the just the the character, um, the lack of character, the sort of moral stain as just it just seeps down. You can just really tell how how much leadership shapes in a party with, with with that kind of thing. So I think any turning of the page would be a, would be a healthy thing and and hopefully uh DeSantis could if he wins um rein in some of the more illiberal elements and and build a coalition that could actually stay within the the, the bounds of the constitution. I think that's the best you can probably hope for right now. But one thing that does scare me about the 2024 election is so if, if let's say if Biden, so let's say it's Biden versus Trump, you know if Biden wins, Trump is going to pull the same, you know stunts that he did before. He's going to say it's rigged. He's going to pull, you know, God knows what other shenanigans are you know the that the MAGA folks are going to try to pull in the election. Um, but then if Trump wins, you know there's like going to be very legitimate fears about electing someone who having someone be president and, and take power again that try to attempt a coup and I just to me it just seems like a very dangerous territory if if and when those two face off in the in the election yeah I, I Trump um, complaining about the outcome of the election if he loses is far less potent and dangerous um, when he's the challenger than when he was the sitting president. He, he just doesn't have a handle on uh, the elements of power and influence that he had when he was still sitting in the Oval Office and plotting uh, to stay there. And the one mainstay through all of that was the judiciary. Um, and so um, I'm less worried about what it means uh, if he is defeated again. Uh, he, he'll be more sour grapes, but less potency, uh, less opportunity for undermining uh, the constitutional order and, and 
democratic uh, norms. I agree with you about um, a re-election of Donald Trump after what he has done uh, per se constitutes a serious um, challenge uh, to the constitutional order and democratic norms and um, how the country would cope with that. Uh, I have no idea, uh, but it increases the stakes of trying to avoid uh, the choice in 2024 that the American people are pretty united in not wanting, uh, which <laughs> is a sign of a flaw in our democracy yeah. itself. Uh, a, yeah, a, a rerun a that nobody wants appears to be by far uh, the most likely choice we're going to face. Yeah. Well, let's finish with a sports question that's not, that's going to be, that was, we're, we're heading down. We're just going to be even more of a downer here. But I know you're a huge golf fan. You've, you've played golf your whole life. Um, you watched the PGA Tour forever. Um, now that the PGA Tour is basically a Saudi funded tour, or if this deal goes through, are you going to keep watching? What's your, uh, as a fan, as someone who watched the PGA, how are, how is your, how are you going to respond to well, the changing to, of the guards? Yeah, I have to begin with my views of Saudi Arabia, which I've, or the House of Saud, which I have expressed many times. Uh, it is one of the most uh, repressive and brutal regimes uh, in uh, all of the globe. Uh, and I think our country um, has made a mistake in treating the Saudis as allies. Um, their only interest has always been for us to fight their battles for them. So geopolitically, I think we've made a mistake. Uh, and morally, I just think it's wrong uh, to do anything which is supportive of one of the most brutal and repressive regimes uh, in the world. And now there's gonna be this super for-profit entity uh, of which the PGA Tour is going to be a subsidiary. Uh, and the only investor, the exclusive investor in that uh, for-profit entity is the Saudi government. Uh, this investment fund uh, is a fund uh, to in further enrich uh, the House of Saud and to further uh, uh, consolidate uh, it's uh, dictatorial uh, control of the country and its population. Uh, and that being the case, I don't think I can bring myself to watch uh, an enterprise um, whose intent uh, is to create value uh, for what are the most brutal and repressive regimes in in the world. Yeah, it's just too bad. I was, you know, I was rooting for the PGA Tour guys in that, you know, in that dispute. And it just feels like now everyone's a live player. And it's just, I mean, it's just a bummer. Um, and very complicated deal on the on paper. And we'll see how the players and the fans, the fans react to it. But, you know, it just feels like we could use a little bit more, you know, leadership and courage and the sort of the 
the moral side of the equation in the United States. <laughs> so hopefully, here's hoping that uh, we start to see some of that more than we've, than we've seen in the past. Uh, well, thanks, everybody, for listening to The Political Notebook. You can find us on any podcasting app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks.